you know, good and God-honoring religious rituals and practices can quickly turn into a false confidence wherein we look to these things as a place to find our justification or... No. <laughs> a lot of times we look for uh, things that will justify our right standing with God other than the gospel. There's so many things that are presented to us as opportunities to be able to put our confidence in this. And this is what the Apostle Paul was writing to the church in Galatia. He's trying to help them understand, don't put your confidence in anything as hope for your salvation except for Jesus. Like, that's it. It's Christ only. It's not Christ plus other things. Because there was this group of people called the Judaizers, and they had come in to the churches in Galatia and other places in Asia Minor, and they had tried to convince these Gentile or non-Jewish Christians that they had to now begin to adopt Jewish practices in order to truly be in right standing with God. So they were saying, yes, go ahead and follow Jesus, but also become a practicing Jew by keeping the Sabbath, by uh, if you, having all the males in your home circumcised, by following a kosher diet, all of these other festivals and all these holidays, all these rituals and rhythms you need to go through. And they were wanting these people to look at those things and following the law as being on par with trusting in Christ. And they were trying to say that unless you trust in Christ plus all these other things, then you're not going to be in right standing with God. And so it's very easy for us to get in the same mindset. It's very easy for us to trust in things that we've done. You know, we took communion, we were baptized, we were confirmed, we volunteered, we led a Bible study, we repeated these words after a pastor or someone on a prayer team at a church or someone who shared the gospel with us. And we look at those things as the things that we checked off of the list in order to become in right standing with God. And the way we look at our righteous works of obedience, man, it matters. It matters more than we realize. And so let's look at what the Apostle Paul said in response to these Judaizers coming in, infiltrating the churches in Galatia. Let's go over to Galatians chapter 3 if you have your Bible this morning. Also remember that if you're using the YouVersion Bible app, you can follow along on the events section in the menu and just click on uh, Bettendorf Christian Church and you'll be able to follow along in the notes and make notes of your own as well. Galatians chapter 3, let's look at verse 1. This is what Paul says. It's pretty strong language here. He says, Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? So he's asking a rhetorical question here. He's not actually asking them this question. He's saying, you know you received this by faith. You heard the gospel. You responded to the gospel. You became a born-again believer, a follower of Jesus, a new creation in Christ because of the faith that you had in what Christ alone had done. And he's saying, so is this how you did this? Was it by the law or was it by faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? He's saying, you guys, 
You started in the spirit by truly trusting in Christ by faith. And now somehow you're going to perfect your salvation because it's like Jesus handed you the baton. He passed you the baton and said, okay, now it's up to you to keep standing in in righteousness with God and continuing to be saved and continuing to perfect your salvation on your own. Good luck. It's like Jesus did the first part and now you've got to figure out the rest. He said, is that how this works? You think you're going to be perfected? by your own works? You think you're going to be perfected by what you did? Or is it going to be by faith? And so Paul is trying to help them understand that what they got started in is the thing they need to continue in. It's the thing that they need to stay anchored in. It's the thing they need to stay grounded in because all of the good works that we do, the good works of obedience, the things that Jesus commanded us to do, the things that we're supposed to do as Christians, as followers of Jesus, The reason we do those things should be because of faith, not just to check a box, not just to go through the motions, not just to go through a religious ritual so that we can just do the stuff that we're expected to do or that other people have told us that we should do. It should be because of our faith. It starts with faith and it ends with faith. Amen, church? You see, it's not faith and then all of a sudden, now it's up to you. Good luck, buddy. It's like Jesus just salutes you and said, good luck. No, it's still by faith in Christ. Paul's proclamation of the gospel here, it's clear that he believes that it's the equivalent of the Galatians actually being witnesses of the crucifixion. Check this out. In verse 3, I mean in in, in chapter 3, he says this. He said, it was before your eyes that Jesus was publicly portrayed as crucified. He's saying to them, listen, it's, the gospel was so clear to you that was presented that it was almost as if you yourself saw Jesus actually being crucified. Even though these Galatian men and women who he was writing this letter to were not the people that were perhaps there on Calvary when Christ died. And they may have not been witnesses to his resurrection physically with their physical eyes. He was telling them that the way the gospel was presented to you the way you heard it, the way you received it, the way you responded to it, the great joy that you had in it. Man, it was as if you guys were there seeing him publicly portrayed as crucified. This was the intensity in which you received the Spirit of God. You guys were convinced, you were convicted, and now how foolish are you that now you're thinking somehow it's going to be by works that you're going to continue this journey and not by faith in Christ. He was basically saying to them, you guys received the spirit unto salvation by faith, and now you think by your own doing that you're going to perfect what God did in you? You see, church, this is the point, is that God will finish what he started in you. You simply continue to grow by trusting in him. You see, it's God who has started this work, and he who began a good work in you, Scripture says, he will be faithful to complete it. And so we have to trust that Jesus is the one who not only brings us to salvation, but Jesus is the one who's going to sustain us in our journey as we follow him and as we walk this out in obedience to him. And it's not something that is up to us to try to do within our own strength, but yet it's the Spirit of God in us that has made us new, that has made us alive, and now any good works of obedience, any good that comes out of me, 
It's a response of faith into what Christ has done. And it's very, very subtle. I want you to catch this. Because the enemy, I believe, is very, very sneaky with the way that he can even convince the Galatians to begin to think about their salvation differently. How people can begin to think one way about salvation and then pivot really quickly. There's this cadence that often we get into as people who begin to follow Jesus. That when we first follow Jesus, man, we get really excited. We get really pumped about following Jesus. Oh, we're really excited about this newfound faith. We're excited especially about the whole forgiveness piece. We're excited about this kind of do-over, this fresh start. We're excited about the love that we hear about and we've experienced and received. We're excited about newfound community of belonging and acceptance. All of these pieces bring a lot of energy and a lot of excitement. And so when we first come to faith in Christ, there's a lot of energy around. There's a lot of peace, a lot of joy around that, a lot of belonging and acceptance around that. And then as you begin to follow Jesus, the temptation in the coming months and the coming years as maybe your fresh found excitement maybe began to wane or maybe you experienced some difficulties, you experienced some challenges, and maybe even the challenges are directly related to the fact that you now belong to Christ. Man, when you start to deal with those types of things, you're like, where's that joy at? Where's what Christ did? And so we think that somehow at that point, at that juncture, that we somehow have to just continue to hit the cruise control, go through the motions, and just continue on this journey to do the things that maybe even we think socially is accepted or expected of us by our peers. Often we are living this, this social pressure game, and I think that's what was happening in Galatia when these people came in, these Judaizers, and they were able to trick or convince these uh, Jesus-following Gentile Christians that somehow there's Jesus plus something else that will make them right in the eyes of God. And I think that that's exactly what happens in our world. And it's such a, man, it's such a thin, fine line that we can drift over into. The drift is subtle oftentimes because we began to look at our faith through a different lens, especially if you've been someone who has been saved for a long time, someone who has been following Jesus for a number of years, you're kind of in this mode where you can think, man, um, I want to hear something I haven't heard before. I've heard this gospel before. I've heard about how Jesus died on the cross. I've heard about the forgiveness of sins. Now, give me something else. And there's this temptation to want something greater than the message of salvation. And folks, I can tell you there's nothing greater than the finished work of Christ on the cross. There's nothing greater. You know you're going to hear the same sermon every Easter. Seriously, you know you're going to hear about the resurrection. The longer we follow Jesus, the more exciting and precious those stories should become to us. Not the more common, the more complacent we become, the more callous that we become. Because often in Christianity, we, we hit this proverbial cruise control button. And this cruise control button puts us in this place mentally to where we begin to look at ourselves differently, look at our faith differently. And we begin to just check boxes to make ourselves feel good instead of letting our good works be because of the faith that we have in Christ. Our good works become because, well, I'm supposed to. <laughs> well, why are you doing that? Well, I'm supposed to. Well, why are you doing that? I'm supposed to. And it's not because of our faith. It's because we're checking a box. Or 
We do it to try to get some sort of merit badge in our own eyes from God, as if we're collecting these proverbial merit badges. Oh God, look at all the things I've done. Look at all the things I've accomplished. Look at all the steps that I've followed. Look at all of that, God. Is it because of my faith that I've done those things? Or is it because of how I want others to view me? Is it because of the social acceptance that I desire? I believe that that was a big motivator for the church in Galatia because they were experiencing pressure from all of these religious Jewish leaders. And they were even telling them, these Judaizers were even telling the people that, hey, if you guys will just start following these Jewish laws and if you'll just go through these Jewish practices, you won't experience any more persecution from the Jewish leaders. You'll be free from persecution from those people. They'll welcome you. They'll want to actually talk to you. They'll want to be associated with you because now you have converted over to their way of thinking and now you're doing the things they want you to do. But until then, they're going to persecute you. They're going to ostracize you. They're going to still discount, discredit your salvation experience. But man, if you'll just do these things, you'll be good. And so there's this social pressure element to do these things just because these things will gain me acceptance or because I'm thinking these things are what God is going to actually look upon as the things that I have to do in order to gain right standing with him. And the danger in that is that now salvation becomes contingent upon what I check off on my to-do list and it doesn't become about Christ and Christ alone. I began to pivot my eyes and my heart over to things other than Christ, even good things. But I need to keep my eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of my faith. Amen? It is Christ alone. And that's what Paul is trying to drive home, that the one who started this is going to finish it. We have to grow in trusting him. Let's read uh, verse 4, chapter 3. Paul says this. He says, did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, Preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And here, Paul pivots. He starts talking about Abraham. And you're like, what's up with that? Why is he talking about Abraham? It's because the Judaizers were using Abraham as a means to convey their message and saying, hey, if you want the blessing of Abraham, if you want to be connected to this, you have to do things this way because this is how we as Jews, as practicing Jews, this is how we know that we are continuing those rich traditions and all of those things by observing the law, by being in covenant with God as God gave this sign of a covenant to Abraham of circumcision. So now we have to follow along and do these things. And so this was being taught to these Gentiles that did not grow up with those Jewish uh, rituals, that did not grow up with those practices and those values in their home. But the blessing of Abraham is not in a material or even physical blessing as, mu as many prosperity teachers will proclaim and, and, and say that there's this blessing of all this prosperity attached to it. But the true blessing is that Abraham was called a friend of God. 
The true blessing is in reconciliation and right standing with God. And that Abraham was just in the eyes of God because of his faith. This is the true blessing is being in right standing with God. Because church, there's no greater blessing than knowing at the end of the day that I'm in right standing with God. There's no greater blessing. There's nothing you could give me. There's nothing you could do for me. There's nothing I could experience in this life that is greater than knowing I'm at right, in right standing with God. So therefore, if anything in this life is taken away from me, even the things that are most precious, even the things that I value in this life, if they're suddenly stripped from me, if they're taken away from me, you cannot take Christ from me. I love the old song that says the world didn't give it and the world can't take it away. You see, there's nothing that can be taken from me now. This is why we can, in Christ, with confidence, say that death has lost its sting. The grave has lost its victory. Because, yes, we are sad when we experience loss. And we grieve over those. We mourn over those. We have a lot of questions around all that. I do, too. We have a lot of questions around that. But at the end of the day... My hope does not lie in how comfortable life becomes for me on this earth. My hope does not lie in how easy life is for me on this earth. My hope does not lie in how things may or may not go my way and are within the realm and sphere of my control in this life and in this world. My hope lies beyond this world. My hope is in Jesus Christ. And when my hope is anchored in Christ and in Christ alone, there's nothing I can add to Christ because Christ is sufficient. Christ is enough. What Christ did on the cross for you and for me by he who did not know sin, becoming sin for us, that we might experience right standing or righteousness in the eyes of God, that God would look on us and welcome us, that God would look on us and want to spend eternity with us and welcome us into his presence, that we can positionally now in this earth, in this life, be in right standing with God and have access to the creator of everything that we know, the one who spoke into nothing and all of a sudden everything became so. I now can speak to him and have an audience with him and he's not too busy for me, that he actually hears me, that he actually draws near when I draw near. That he actually moves behind the scenes in ways that I may not even be aware of and can't even see or fathom. He's moving. He's doing things. He's orchestrating things for his glory and for my good. Not just here on the earth, but for eternity. Man, when, when I think about that, there is no greater blessing than being in right standing with God. There is nothing greater. And so don't get swept up. In these ideas and in, the, in these ideals where different people will try to use Jesus as a method in order for you to try to access things in this life that will bring you joy, peace, happiness. Because there is nothing outside of Christ that will bring you to, true peace, true joy, true comfort, true everlasting right standing with God. There's nothing. There's nothing. And so don't look at and misuse and misrepresent 
The reason why Christ came, the reason why he came is to rescue us out of this horrible pit, this pathway, this wide road that is going to eventually lead to destruction and eternal separation from God. He's rescued us from that. He's made a way, as scripture says, where there was no way. He's done in and of himself without any help from you or I. He's done in and of himself. He has done what you and I could never have done. And that was make a way to where now we can have access to God. Those of us who were born with this sin nature, those of us who sin, man, it's just, it's just second, second nature to us, right? I mean, nobody has to like send their, 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 their child to lying school to learn how to lie and be good at it. No one, has to, no one has to send their children to disobedience school to teach them how to disobey. There's something in us through this fallen world, through this fallen nature that that shows that we're on this path to be all about us. I want what I want and I want it now. And then all of a sudden when when, when Christ and his story intercepts my story, who I was before and how I was only seeking my own will and my own pleasure, now that's died. That has been crucified with Christ. And now that person no longer lives and the person who lives now is a person who's living in Christ. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. And so the good works that I do, the steps of obedience that I follow, it's because of faith. And it should be in faith, not seen as a work. Because faith is not a work, but rather it's a response. Faith is a response that produces good works. Let's keep reading over In verse 10, he says this. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, curse be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. So that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it's been ratified. Now, the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one. And to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law which came 430 years afterward does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God, so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. And so now, here's the big question. Well, why then the law? If here the Apostle Paul is saying that if I'm living under the law, I'm living under a curse, what, what, what is the purpose of this law that people followed centuries before Christ came on the scene? He's saying, what, what was the point of all of this? Well, he's about to explain that because remember, he's responding to the Judaizers' teaching to the church in Galatia who is making these people think, leading these people to believe this idea that somehow they're justified by the law. So why then the law? 
It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now, an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law, check this out, the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. There's a lot in those 19 scriptures that we just read. And we could take the next year unpacking that. But I want us to understand the overarching big idea here of what we just read. That Paul is explaining the role and the purpose of the law. That it never saved anyone. And it was never intended to make man right in the eyes of God. That wasn't the purpose. The law was given so that it would expose man's sin and show God's holy standard. It's a guardian. It's helping us to see our inability to make ourselves right in the eyes of God. And at the same time, it's showing God's holiness. And the inheritance of Abraham was the promise that he would be this father of many nations. And God made a covenant with Abraham. And as a sign, there was to be all of the males in his lineage were to be circumcised. The Jews had been trusting in this sign. This was where they had been putting a lot of their hope. And they were missing the point of the sign. They were thinking that it was the sign that made them in right standing with God. They thought it was the sign that made them a part of the covenant promise. And they didn't look at the sign as what it was, that it was a faith declaration saying that I am trusting in God's promises. Instead, they were trusting in their own act of circumcision. And they had been doing this for centuries because it had drifted. They were trusting in what they could do to be connected to God. Instead of trusting by faith they were connected to God, and now their act of obedience was a sign saying, I trust you by faith, and I am right in the eyes of God. Yes, because of my obedience, but not through necessarily what I did, but because first and foremost, my faith in what what God had promised to Abraham. The Jews had been trusting in the covenant sign, and then they had also been trusting in the law, not in the promise or the promise maker. They hadn't been trusting in the promise maker. That was the whole point, trust in God, not in the sign. Trust in the one who spoke it, not in the fact that you did it. Because now I could boast about what I've done. And oh, look, I I, I am now this person because of what I've done. No, it's still through faith. It's always been by faith. It will always be through faith. You see, the Judaizers were trying to leverage the story of Abraham to the Galatians as this evidence that being a Christian, being in right standing with God, that it required circumcision and following the law. He is using, in verse 27, 
We see where he says, for as many of you are baptized into Christ, you put on Christ, and there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you're all one in Christ. He's using baptism here in verse 27 as this illustration saying that baptism is our identification, our declaration, our union with Christ, and saying, listen, we are one with Christ, just like you guys remember when you were baptized, and now by faith, we've been baptized, we've been immersed into Christ. And now we identify with him, and now we're not identifying by our ethnicity, we're not identifying by our social status, we're not identifying by our gender. He said, we're not identifying by these things anymore. That's not the basis of who I am. The basis of who I am isn't the the way I grew up, if I grew up on this side of the tracks or that side of the tracks. The basis of my value and my identity is not whether I was born as a male or female. The basis of my value and my identity is not whether I was a slave or whether I was a free man, whether I was a Jew, whether I was a Greek. He said, now the thing that brings us together and that really matters is are you in Christ? Have you been brought into Christ? Have you been immersed into Christ? Is he now one with you and you are one with him? Because all of this other stuff that used to separate you, all this other stuff that used to divide, all this other stuff that used to put us in these little uh, socio-graphic categories, all of these socioeconomic groups, all of these race-based groups, all these gender-based groups, that doesn't matter anymore. He's saying if you're in Christ, you're all one in Christ. Even if you came, if you, even if you grew up as a slave, he's saying a slave is on par with the free man if he's in Christ. Because you are now one in Christ. He said, and if you're in Christ, now you're a part of this promise that was made to Abraham. You're now made just and made right in right standing with God through faith in Christ. And it's not of your own doing, it's all in Christ. And he's saying it's through faith, not through your works. Not through what you've done, not through what you've accomplished, but yet what Christ accomplished in and of himself. And now our obedience, our walking this thing out, it's a response. You see, here's our big idea for today. We are not saved by our works, only by faith in Christ alone, but we are saved unto good works. So this means that when I become a follower of Jesus, that now I am saved, and yes, good works need to come out of me. But at no point do the good works save me. You see, the good works come out of me. They should. That's part of the fruit of the Spirit. That's part of the evidence of trusting in Christ. As I walk this thing out, as I walk out this journey in Christian circles, and and, and to use a, a biblical term, we call this journey sanctification. We're walking out this journey of sanctification where we're growing in Christ likeness. Because when I receive Christ and I'm positionally justified by faith, man, my whole life doesn't immediately turn around at that moment with the way that maybe I may think or behave or respond or act. I'm now learning how to do that because I have faith. That faith grounds me. And now it has changed my desires. That's really what Christ does when, he, when our story intersects with Christ. Is that our desires begin to be changed at a heart level. He put something new in us to where now I'm beginning to want to do things previously I didn't want to do. And now things that I used to want to do and be drawn to, now I'm not wanting to do some of those things. And I'm learning how to serve and follow Christ because he's put a new heart in me. And now I'm desiring the things of God. And he's beginning to help me be renewed in my thinking, renewed in my mind by the way that I spend time in his word, by the way that I spend time with other 
Christian believers and other people who are beginning to walk alongside me in this journey and they're sharpening me and we're sharpening one another and we're helping one another to grow and we're encouraging one another and spurring one another on to good works because we should be doing good works. The Christian should be doing good works, amen? amen? But the good works don't make me right in the eyes of God. It's only by faith in what Christ has done in me and it's always gonna be that way. And so we can't clean up the old uh, merit badge. You see all those badges? None of us have a proverbial gold star by our name in the Lamb's Book of Life, you know, like Google ratings or something, you know. And it's like some of you are like five-star Christians and some of you are like <laughs> half-star Christians. God doesn't go, oh man, I'm really glad that one's on my team, but that one, gee whiz, I don't know about that guy or that lady. That's not how it works. God isn't ranking us. You see, through the eyes of God and through the value system of heaven, there is saved and there is lost. There are the sheep that were in the, the, the pen of the shepherd, and then there was the one that was lost, right? And he loves all of the sheep. He loves the ones that stayed there in the pen, and he loves the one that was lost, Right? This is the value system of heaven. And so as we learn to follow Jesus and as we begin to allow the love of God to change our heart, change our mind, change our lens that we look at the world through, change our perspective. Now my perspective is being changed and altered and now I'm beginning to see other people the way Jesus sees people. I'm beginning to love people through that lens. I'm beginning to understand what patience means towards someone that I disagree with because men, God certainly has been patient with me. I began to learn what it means to love someone right where they're at because God loved me right where I was at. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Amen, church? You see, this is the anchoring of the gospel that changes the way that we act. It changes the way we interact with people. It changes the way we view ourselves. It changes the way that we view the world. It changes our assignment, our purpose, our mission. It gives us this clarification of what we're supposed to be about as we follow Jesus on this journey. As we walk through this journey with other people, it helps us to do this in a much, much clearer way. So are we trusting in Christ alone? Or are we trusting in Christ plus what we've done, like the Galatians? Because a growing dependence upon Christ saves, sustains, and makes us effective for God's glory. It saves us, it sustains us, and it makes us effective for God's glory. That's what this growing dependence upon Christ does. And this is what Paul's trying to get the Galatians back to. He's saying, you guys have drifted, you guys have shifted, and you, you, you first heard Christ, you responded, you were zealous, you were passionate about Christ, and now you've drifted You've drifted over into something else that you're looking at. And man, it's tempting because you can, you can polish the merit badge. You can polish the trophy and put it in the trophy case. You can look at what all you've done and look at those things and place your confidence in those things. Or, he said, you can remember the true gospel, that you are saved by faith. It is this faith that you have placed in this grace that's been so freely distributed as Ephesians 2 and verse 9 and 10 says that we are saved by grace through faith and it's not of ourselves it's not of our works 
lest we should boast about it. So by all means, church, do good works. We want to do that. We want to follow God. We want to obey his commands. We even want to observe God honoring observances, rituals, celebrations. They all are good. They can be good. They are good. They are good when they honor God and when they point people to Jesus. But where they become dangerous is if we look to our works and our observances and our routines and our adherence and following the steps in order to trust in that to be saved. Then we're adding to the gospel. I'm not say, I don't study the Bible and study the scripture in order to be saved. No, I am a follower of Jesus and I study the Bible because I have faith in him. Amen? You see, there is a difference in the mentality there. Some people would look and go, well, I've shown up for church, you know, every time the doors are open. I'm a faithful attender and I, I volunteer and I uh, contribute in the uh, operatory. I uh, participate in all the things that are available. And we can look at all that. We can go, look at all my accomplishments. Look at all I've done. And sometimes we can even look at what we haven't done. And we can be just as proud of that as we are of what we have done. Well, look at how squeaky clean my life is. Look at how kind and generous I am. Look at how moral I have behaved and I have been diligent and disciplined. And we can look at all those things and go, I'm a pretty good person. God must be glad to have me on the team. And you're missing the gospel. You're missing the gospel in the middle of all of that, if that's the way that you're looking at it. And so I want you to catch this this morning. I want you to understand this this morning, because this this has been the heart of this letter that Paul wrote to the church in Galatia. You see, there is a difference in looking at the things that we do in order to be saved and the things that we look at that we do because we are saved. There's a difference. One declares salvation by faith in Christ alone. The other view adds something to the gospel other than faith. So here's what I want to ask you this morning. What gives you confidence that you are saved, forgiven, in right standing with God? What gives you confidence? Person watching online at home, maybe catching this a little later, I want you to think about what gives you confidence that you're forgiven, that you're in right standing with God. Where does that confidence come from? Everyone here in the room, I want you to to ask yourself that question. I want you to take a second. If everybody could just bow their heads and just like kind of block out distractions in the room, block out all the distractions, I want you to take a moment and I want you to evaluate And I want you to ask honestly, what am I placing my confidence in that I am saved, that I'm forgiven, that I'm in right standing with God? Where has your hope been? Maybe you're coming face to face, maybe even today that you're realizing, maybe I've been trusting in something outside of what Christ has done. Maybe I've been trusting in something I've done. And I need to trust in Christ alone. And if that's you today, man, take this moment that we're all sharing and experiencing together. Take this moment and acknowledge that. Just tell God in your own way, God, I recognize I've been trusting in morality. God, I've been trusting in my church attendance. God, I've been trusting in my service and 
in, in all of my, my, my outreaches I've served in and all the good things I've done to my neighbors. I've been trusting in that, Lord, I see that. Just ask him, say, Lord, forgive me for that. I want to trust in Christ alone. I want to put my faith and my hope in Christ alone. Just tell him that today. Tell him, Jesus, you're everything. If you're here in this place today or if you're watching online and you have never placed your faith or your trust in Christ, today, I believe, is the day of your salvation if you will just take that step of faith and trust to depend on what Christ has done. And say, Jesus, I, I admit I've been trusting in my own good deeds and I realize I need to trust in what Jesus has done because I I've been trying to follow the law. I've been trying to be a good boy. I've been trying to be a good girl. I've tried to check all the right boxes. Lord, forgive me for looking at it that way. I want to just trust in what you've done because you are sufficient. You are enough. Just tell him that today in your own way. Jesus, you're enough. I'm going to ask our prayer team, if you guys would, go ahead and come up to the front where you normally come. We have our prayer team that's available. And so at the end of service, if you have made that type of faith declaration, I want you to let one of our prayer team members know so they can pray with you and so that they can help you on your journey for whatever that next step may be for you. For some of you, maybe it's getting plugged in with a mentor and somebody helping you walk with you through this faith journey. We'll do that. We'll help you with that. For some of you, your next step of faith and obedience, maybe it's baptism and you want to publicly declare your faith and your, your allegiance with Christ and your union with Christ, then let's talk about that. Let's do that. For some of you, maybe you just have something going on in your life and you need someone just to hook up with you to pray, to help you, to just to be able to agree with you, to just pray that God would move in your life and on your behalf. Let us do that. We want to be here for you. So even if it's not related to your, to your salvation, maybe there's something else going on you came in burdened with. We don't want you to leave with that heavy weight. We want you to leave knowing that we love you, we care about you, and that God loves you and cares about what you're going through. So let us minister to you. And so we're going to invite you when we dismiss, if you want to come and connect with one of our prayer people, they're going to be up here for a few minutes so that they can pray with you. But I want us to take whatever God's done in us today, and I want us to stay anchored in the truth that we are saved by faith in Christ alone. Our dependence on him should only grow the more and more we walk with him. Lord, help us to not trust in ourselves, but help us trust in you. Because Jesus, you are sufficient you are more than enough. You've always been more than enough. You will always be more than enough. Help us to grow in that. In Jesus' name.